Amen. Hey, you guys can go ahead and be seated. Hey, good evening, everyone. Glad you're here. Um, if you're here for the first time today, uh, know that we're really thankful that you're here with us. Um, I, I actually think you came at a really good time because today we're going to talk about courage, right? Courage is one of those things that um, everyone wants and everyone loves, right? Maya Angelou, an American poet, I said courage is the most important, th- most important of all virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. You can practice any virtue erratically, but nothing consistently without courage. Now, if I'm honest with you, this is just evidence that I can find just about anything I want on the internet to let you know to defend my point, right? Um, you know, most, most philosophers uh, say that the greatest virtue is love, but regardless of the greatest virtue, which one, one it is, most, you know, a lot of people still love courage. We, we all get excited about this idea of courage. Walt Disney has said, courage is the greatest quality in leadership. Rolf Waldo Emerson, another poet, said, courage charms us, right? It charms us. Many great stories and movies surround the idea of courage. You know, I, I like to think of the cowardly lion. I don't know if you've seen the lion, uh, you know, the Wizard of Oz. The cowardly lion, he's got his famous courage speech. Uh, you know, he kind of stands up and he gives this great speech. He puts his chest real high. He pups up. He's got a lot of confidence. And he says, what makes a king out of a slave? Courage. What makes the flag on the mast to wave? Courage. Right? What makes the elephant cha- charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusty dust? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? Courage. What makes the hot and tot so hot? And what puts the ape in apricot? What have they got that I ain't got? And then Dorothy Scarecrow and the Tin Man, they all say, courage, right? The cowardly lion, he didn't have courage. He wanted it. He knew he needed it. See, courage is a virtue that is to be sought. It's something we all want and need. And it's something that's often praised at all levels. Marines and war heroes, they're praised for courage. But it also takes courage to try new foods or to ask someone out on a date. It takes a lot of courage. And today we're going to see that courage is also vital to the Christian life. But the question we all want to know, and the question the cowardly lion wants to know, is where do we find courage? What, you know, what gives us courage? What makes the coward courageous? Whether, or not, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, we all agree that courage is a virtue to have. But the difference is the source of courage. The world says it's up to you. You have to hype yourself up, conquer your mind, hear and learn of other great stories of courage. And at some level, right, that some of this works. You know, some of us are just naturally more courageous than others. But what's interesting to me about Christianity, and I think this should probably be intriguing to, to you at least if you're not a Christian, what's intriguing is the consistency of courageous actions done throughout history. For over 2,000 years, people have killed for their faith, asked to renounce their faith, but they're so confident they're, they're, so confident they're willing to die for it. And this is not a crazy few people. This is millions of people over thousands of years. People have believed the same thing, believed the great message of the gospel, and at the center of the Christian faith, true, authentic Christian faith, faith, time and time again, great courage is found. That's where our passage is driving us today. 
Last week, we started a new series called uh, Multiply, and it's out of 2 Timothy. And we're, we're looking at this book, and it, and it and is that God has given us a great message. Right? We see that God's given us a message, He's given us a great mission, but He has also given us a method for His mission, a method for His mission. Something that we're going to see throughout this entire book is that God's method for His mission is for people to invest in people. God's method for his mission is for people to invest in people. The gospel is to be passed through people, not marketing, not great events or programs, but through people. To put it frankly, God's method for reaching the world is through you and through me. It's through us. Last week we said the gospel can't stop with you. The gospel has to pass through you. And this week I heard this quote by a pastor, and I love it. I love it when pastors just, you know, they just like punch you right between the eyes. I just love it. He said, men are looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. Mm. And just so we're clear on this, I said this, in the, it was all said in the context of this passage we're going to read today. Um, God is looking for better men, but how does God find better men and women? What does he do? He makes them. He makes better men and women, and he does it through the power of the gospel. The power of our message, the power of our truth, is that we can't do anything but God does everything. God does everything. Yes, we're always responsible for our actions, but God is always responsible for our growth. The difference between religion and the gospel is that religion says we make ourselves better, more courageous, and then God approves. Where the gospel says, no, God approves of us through Jesus, and then he makes us better. God makes us courageous. And we don't muster up courage to please God. If you believe in Jesus, listen. God already approves of you. When you believe the unbelievable truth of what Jesus did for us at the cross, that he did everything necessary to save us, that Jesus took the sin that we deserve, that Jesus died the death that we deserve, and then we trust in Jesus, listen, we can't get away from the radical, loving nature of God's approval of you and me. You can't get away from it. I can say it this way. Religion says, when man is courageous, then God approves. But the gospel says, God approves, therefore man is courageous. You catch the difference? This is important for you to understand, for us to understand. Last week, we said the gospel is not what we do. The gospel is what Jesus has done. Listen to me. If you've been to a church that tells you to clean yourself, your life up first, and then after that, Jesus accepts you, that's flat out wrong. The Bible does not teach that. Here at New City Church, we wholeheartedly reject that. Hear me clearly on this. We believe that if you understand God's wholehearted approval of you, if you truly get it, you'll grow in wanting to obey God. When you understand what God has done for you, if you grow in becoming radically courageous. So what, 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 we, what do we preach over and over again here? We preach the gospel over and over again. Th that it's not what you do, it's what Jesus has done. And when you catch that, when we start to really understand that it's not what we do, it's all about what Jesus has done, we start to be released for radical, something that can be, make us radically different. And if you're here for the first time today, I hope and pray that you'll keep coming around. But beware, this gospel, this good news, it may change you. Last week, we, looked, we read through verses 1 to 7 in 2 Timothy. And I want to read verse 7 again. I said it was a, a hinge verse. And I want to remind us of a few things of verse 7. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to show us our outline today. So look at, look, at me, uh, look at verse 7 with me. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
Remember, so Paul's in jail right before he's about to be killed for his faith, and he's writing this letter to young Timothy. And Paul has invested in Timothy. He's prayed for Timothy. He's he spent time with Timothy. He's mentored young Timothy, and he's encouraging him to co- continue to work out what God has started in him. He's given Timothy gifts, and he's encouraging him to spur on. Right? Be encouraged. Keep going. And then he writes verse 7. In this verse, verse 7, it's been so life-changing to me. It's been very, very encouraging to me over the past two weeks. You know, I read it three or four times last week because I I want us to look at it again, but we're going to read it again because there's so much power in God's Word. Just sit in the weight of this verse. Just sit in it. I truly believe that many of us need to hear it again this week. I'm going to say it again. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I want to emphasize this. Listen, fear is not from the Lord. Fear is not from the Lord. Brother and sister, I can say with utter confidence to you that God says to you today, He says, fear not. Fear not. Do not fear. What is the last thing that Jesus said to us before He left? I'm with you always. I am with you always. Listen to me. God is with you. God is with me. The God of the universe, the God that created this world, the God that created you, your spouse, your friend, your kids. I don't know what it is. I don't know what your exact situation is today, your family situation, your financial situation, your work situation. Whatever it is, God has said to you, fear not. Fear not. He didn't say it was going to get better according to your standards. He says, fear not. God gave us not a spirit of fear. What does he give us according to verse 7? Not a better situation. He doesn't give us comfort. He doesn't give us ease. But God grants us unmistakable power, unmistakable love, and unmistakable self-control. So when you're in that freak out, terrifying moment, you know, he didn't say it would necessarily get better, but through the power of God's Spirit, we can have power and love and self-control. Brother and sister, know that God is growing you. Why? Because God wants to use you to display his great power and his great love and his great self-control. Be encouraged. This should fill us with courage. I told you this is the the hinge verse between last week and and our passage this week, and we need to get get it. We need to get this verse. I said God has given us a method for his mission. We know that men and women are the method for his mission. People are his method. But it's people that are filled with God's Spirit that grants us great courage. People that are filled with power and love and self-control. With that said, our main, the main idea for today is this. God grants courage through the Spirit of God to keep the message of God moving. One of the things that we know as Christians is that when we believe the message of the gospel, the Spirit of the living God, it comes and it, he comes and He dwells inside of us and He starts working through us and He powers us. and He starts to make us more like Jesus, to make us more effective for His mission. But let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It, it doesn't mean life will be easy. It doesn't mean you'll never be tempted. It doesn't mean you'll never be fearful. You'll never mess up. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect. You'll always be loving and you'll always be practicing self-control. But it does mean is that you always have access to it. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you, you have access to the Spirit of the living God, the power of the God of the universe. God has granted us access to His power, access to His love, and access to His self-control. This is what we often do with the gospel. 
Okay? We receive it. We believe it. But we forget that it comes with great power. It's like, it would be like this. You get your first paycheck, right? You receive it. You really believe that it's yours. In fact, it is yours. You earned it. You're the owner that, that you're the owner of that paycheck. You know it to be true. You're so happy about it. You celebrate it. And then you frame it. Right? You put it on a frame so you'll never forget about it. You'll always remember it. And every time you look at that paycheck, you're like, ah, oh, I'm so thankful for that paycheck. Right? That paycheck changed my life. That was such a great day when I received that paycheck. I want others to know have that. I want others to receive a paycheck too. But the problem is, you didn't cash in the paycheck, right? You never received the full benefit of the paycheck because you didn't take the paycheck to the bank, right? You didn't cash it in. That's what we often do with the gospel. We receive it, we, re- we believe it, we try to remember it, but we often fail to realize the full benefit of the gospel. There are great riches in the gospel that we have access to every single day. There's great power in the gospel. Take it, receive it, cash it in, and let God change your life because the great news is that God is fighting on our behalf. God is growing us. God is working in us in ways that we do not see. If you feel fearful or worried or nervous or lacking confidence in what God is doing, God has said to you, fear not. I am with you always. Fear not, I am with you always. Even when you don't feel like he's with you, listen, he's with you. Working in unmistakable power in in ways that we don't understand, in ways that we don't get, we may not even like it. But God has made it abundantly clear that God is for our good. And he is working in great power. That's the preface for our text today. That's, (laughs) we are filled with great power. And with that said, I want to, I want to read our passage for today. We're going to look at all of 8 through 12. So I want you guys to follow along with me. It should be up on the screen. This is what it says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Before I go any further, I, again, I just want you guys to just sit on that. Because of everything I just told you about what Paul has just said, about what we have access to, Paul has said, do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord. That's where we're going today. Do not be ashamed. Have courage. So buckle up, right? We're going to read it again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoners, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, for which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. We said that our main point is God grants courage to the Spirit of God to keep the message of the gospel moving. So if God grants courage through the Spirit and great power and through, self, through love and self-control, there are two things in this passage that come up. That should be our response. There's two imperatives, two important commands, two things that require great courage. Both of these are imperatives. They come up in verse 8. He says, the first one is, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Basically saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. And then also, he says, the second one is, 
share in suffering for the gospel. So we're going to use that for our outline today. I'm a really simple guy. I like simple outlines. Number one, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Number two, we will suffer for the gospel. And at the very end, we're going to see how it all ties together and it's, it's because it's all because of grace. Number three, it's all because of grace. I told you to buckle up, okay? Catch your breath. Shame, suffering, there's a little bit of intensity here. Uh, I promise I'm not angry with you, okay? Uh, but I really believe that this is something that we, re- we really need in the life of our church. This is part of the Christian life. Before we jump to these points, I want to point out something that's really important for us to know about, uh, just something for you to recognize. The, the main point here is centered around this idea of courage. That's because that's what Paul emphasizes. He says, fear not, do not be ashamed. You know, you will suffer, guard, protect. All these things take great courage, but courage is the main thing, but it's not the most important thing. Paul does this all the time in his writings, right? Courage is the main thing. It's not the most important thing. It's like hunger in a famine, right? The main, the main thing becomes, the main thing becomes hunger. People who are hungry, they need to eat. That becomes the main thing. Like when you're hungry, you want to eat. You let everybody know that you want to eat, right? But the most important thing is the famine. And people need to eat it. People need to eat. People need food because of the famine. Paul is emphasizing courage. He's emphasizing what's needed. That's the main point he's trying to get across. But the most important thing in this passage is the gospel. Both of these imperatives that, re- these are, both of these imperatives that require courage are centered around this idea of the gospel. And we need these imperatives because of the gospel. Just like we need food because of a famine. And he said in verse 8, he said, Don't be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord. That's the gospel. And then he said, share in suffering for the gospel. Verse 8 has two imperatives. What we're to do, don't be ashamed, share in suffering. But the other, verse 9 and 10, this is the most important part of this passage. This is the why behind what we do. I'm going to read it again. Follow me up on the screen. God, who saved us, and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Listen, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, what is central to everything that we do here at New City Church, it's all about Jesus. The message of the gospel is all about a person. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's it's about Jesus' qualifications. It has nothing to do with our qualifications. It's all about Jesus's. You see, we have this problem called sin. If you've ever told a lie, you've sinned. If you've been greedy, you've sinned. If you've ever stolen something, you've sinned. And sin is something that that we all have. When we look at the world, we notice something is not right, that it's broken, and that it all ties back to this problem we call sin. It affects each one of us. Every single day, it affects us. But the greatest problem with our sin is that it separates us from God. We can no longer be with God. It removes us from Him. And because of that, because we're separated from God, there's a rescue that needs to happen. God, we need to be rescued. And the great news of the gospel, as Paul said in verse 10, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it says in verse 10, it said that He appeared. Jesus appeared. What did He appear to do? He appeared to rescue us. And listen carefully. The way in which Jesus rescued us 
is that he lived a life without sin that we could not live. He died the criminal's death that we deserve. And Jesus took our punishment. And Jesus went in our place. We deserve death, but Jesus took it. He went in our place. And when we trust in him, when we believe in him, as it says in verse 10, verse 10, it says he grants life and immortality. He grants life now and with him forever. That's the gospel. We couldn't do it. Jesus did it for us. That's what drives us. That's the message that drives everything we do. The gospel is for salvation, but it's also our motivation. It's the motivation that drives our church. The gospel changes everything. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus has done. I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. You can say it this way. We don't do good works for God to accept us. We're accepted by God. Therefore, we do good works. Not just good, nice things. We don't just do good, nice things for good works, but also hard things. We're called to do hard things that take courage. It's never about what we do. It's always about what Jesus has done. I'm going to tell you, once we get this, once it starts to like click in our brain, we'll start to, we'll start to be released to things that, that cause great courage. It'll look different for each of us, but know this. God wants to use you. God wants to grow you. And he wants to grow you for his purposes. With that said, look, look back with me at verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. I've already touched on how uh, this verse is a response in light of that idea of the gospel, that we have access to God's great power. And it says, Now therefore, do not be ashamed of the gospel. That's our fourth point for today. Really simple. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. When we think of this idea of being ashamed, you know, it's basically uh, being reluctant to do something because of the fear of embarrassment. Like, that's kind of what he's talking about. You know, we act slowly, we're fearful, we're self-conscious, we're embarrassed. You know, or, we, or we, know, we know we've done something wrong, so we're ashamed or we feel guilty because we've done it. In light of this, I found a few... Um, Ideas of uh, a few examples that millennials are secretly ashamed of. Here they are. First one. They lack, we lack self-control when it comes to food. Or often, I thought this was really weird and funny all at the same time, often too lazy to go out. Okay? And then I found a, and then I found a list of a few things that people are secretly ashamed of or embarrassed of. Like <laughs> pretend to text in public. To look like you have friends. I don't know if you've done that or not. There you have it. Or wave to someone in public that actually wasn't waving at you. You know, it was a little bit of an accident. I thought this was fun, kind of funny. Texting someone who's actually in the same house as you. Okay? I'm, I don't know if you've done that. I don't know if I've done that or not. But maybe I'm secretly embarrassed about it. But then there's these more serious things that people are ashamed of, like maybe the way that we look or something that we've done in the past or for today, possibly being ashamed about what we believe. But I want us to see today is that we have absolutely no reason to be ashamed. Paul encourages us and says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. You can say it this way. Believing the gospel produces great courage, not fear. It produces courage, not fear. Fear is not from the Lord. Being ashamed of the gospel, this is not from the Lord. When we're ashamed of the gospel, we have to realize something. We have to realize something. 
Because there's something that happens when the gospel is proclaimed. When we believe the gospel, when we believe what God has done and we proclaim it to the world, now I told you to buckle up, okay? Listen to this. We are literally pushing back the gates of hell. We're pushing back darkness. It is literally a spiritual war. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't in the military. I've never been in a physical war. Um, but you don't, I don't think you have to be a commander in an army to know, or a marine to know that war is not an easy endeavor. Right? It's hard. It's brutal. It can be bloody. Casualties happen. Lives are sacrificed. But hear me on this. One of the greatest truths in the Christian life is an utter confidence that Jesus wins the war. The war against evil. Jesus, Jesus wins. Sin, listen, sin will be destroyed forever. Jesus will sit on his throne with his people in perfect harmony forever. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. It will happen. But, but the war, but until the war is completely over, we still have an enemy that is fighting against us when we try to push back the gates of hell. And one of his tactics, one of the tactics of our enemy is to instill fear, is to instill shame and guilt, to keep us quiet, try to keep us embarrassed or make us embarrassed of the gospel or to make us nervous or timid. Paul, Paul knew what was surrounding Timothy at the day, of the day. Paul knew the culture. You know, a lot, a lot of times today, oftentimes today, Christianity, it's been a little normalized, so it's not quite like it was in, in Timothy's day and Paul's day. Um, but, you know, for us, I don't think it actually helps that much because people often get enough Christianity in our day that keep them immune to the real thing, right? Regardless of that, back in Timothy's day, what they're proclaiming, it seemed utterly foolish to everybody around them. What they were proclaiming, it seemed like foolishness unless they actually believed it. They were proclaiming that God became a baby. They were proclaiming that that baby became a man a perfect man who never did anything wrong, was without sin, and that man died on the cross for the sins of the world. Listen, this is either completely crazy and ridiculous, or it's true. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. And when you think about it, how this man, Jesus, how he actually lived, how historians have confirmed it, how he performed miracles, thousands have witnessed it, and some, some historians that, that don't actually believe They've affirmed his works, but they have, you know, they've said that he was just a great magician, you know. Um, I, don't, I don't care how good of a magician that you are. Um, I don't know many people crazy enough to give up their life for a magician. I don't. Much less every single person that knew him personally, that spent time with him, that knew what he said about himself. They knew he called himself the Son of God. Those people that saw him... If they thought he was a magician, they would not have given up their life for him. And I'll say this. I would like to think that our magic in today, our little tricks that we have, they've improved quite a bit over the past 2,000 years. But, you know, I've, I've never seen or heard of a magician that made the lame walk, the deaf speak, and bring the dead back to life. I think Jesus wins this a little bit, right? Jesus was either a crazy man or he was who he said he was. He was either the greatest liar and con artist of all time or he's God. There's no in-between. And Paul, in prison, was reminding Timothy to stand firm. Don't be ashamed. I know that what I saw, I heard, and witnessed, I know that it's true, Timothy. 
I know that it's true. You know that it's true. Don't be embarrassed of it. He's saying, hold fast to this message. Hold fast to the gospel. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Brother and sister today, today, listen, do not be ashamed of the gospel. It's our source of life, our source of satisfaction, our source of hope, and our source of great power. The gospel doesn't make us perfect. The gospel makes us whole. The gospel doesn't make us perfect. The gospel makes us whole because believing, trusting, and walking with Jesus is walking in the way in which God created us to live. Don't be ashamed of this. We are called to pass on the gospel. The gospel can't stop with you. It must be passed through you. If we're ashamed of the gospel, it cannot be passed on. Paul here is encouraging Timothy to be outwardly courageous for the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel. When we are working to advance the gospel, we have the enemy. We have an enemy that comes in and he whispers lies to us. He whispers lies. He says things like, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. Or hey, they're going to think you're weird. <laughs> They're going to laugh at you behind your back. It's going to be so awkward, right? Hey, they're never going to believe this. Let me tell you right now, that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm not saying don't use wisdom and good judgment. God has called us to walk in love. Everything we do is surrounded in love and it's surrounded in gentleness. But let me remind you, but God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. We proclaim the gospel in great love and self-control, but we proclaim it in boldness and in courage and with great confidence and with power because, listen, it's not up to you to save anybody. Listen to what Paul says in verse 9. God saved us and called us. Who saved us? God saved us. Who called us? God called us, not the person who shared with you. God saved you. This has been one of the most emboldening truths for me. It gives me so much confidence, so much assurance that God is going to move, that God is going to save people, that God is going to call people to himself because it's not up to me. It's up, it comes from the power of God, right? We get, just to be a, we get to be a part of the journey. Check this out. There are people all around us that God is going to save. It will happen. Absolutely. It will happen. God is in the business of saving people. He's, he's in the business of calling people to himself. The question we have to answer is, are we going to be a part of it or not? Don't be ashamed of this. Proclaim, it with, proclaim the gospel in boldness. Proclaim it with power. Don't miss this. Boldness is a mark of the Spirit of God working in your life. Whether the people in our lives know it or not, people all around us are thirsty for God. They're hungry for the gospel. People are sick and searching for help and healing. And what a great privilege we have to bring the thirsty, the living water that God provides, the hungry, the eternal feast of the gospel, and the sick, the medicine that is found in the great physician. God is living and active. <laughs> He's working all around us. He wants to use us to advance His kingdom. He's going to do it because we already know, as we already said, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And we have great power on our side. Brother and sister, be filled with courage today. But let me tell you something. Be prepared for great difficulty. When we make a commitment to the gospel, we're making a commitment to suffer for the gospel. Later, in the same book, Paul tells Timothy, 
He said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not some. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not some, but all. It's part of the Christian life. Paul tells us in verse 9 to share in suffering. By no means am I saying you should want to suffer. That's just weird. right? That's called you're playing crazy. Nobody actually wants to suffer. But what I am saying is that you should be prepared to suffer. Because, without a doubt, in some way, in some capacity, our second point, we will suffer for the gospel. We will suffer for the gospel. One of my favorite classes I took in seminary was on the persecuted church. I basically listened to a seminary uh, professor, to a missionary, tell story after story. It was like, it was just like story time. I loved it. It was like, why would it not be my favorite class, right? They shared stories of how when persecution happens, the spreading of the gospel intensifies. I was captivated by it. This missionary couple, they taught the class. They spent 30 years on the mission field. And, and they basically told 30 years worth of stories throughout this entire week of my class. And the persecution, that they, you know, of people who personally witnessed persecution all over the world. But something that was interesting to me, oftentimes when we think about persecution, we often think about people getting put in jail or being, people being killed for their faith. Yes, that definitely is persecution, but most of the persecution that happens to Christians around the world, it happens in their own families. Families disown people, disown them, kick them out of their house, they get sent to the streets, lose their inheritance. Listen, this type of stuff is real. It It happens all over the world, and the gospel continues to advance in spite of it. All over the world, when the enemy tries to slow down the spreading of the gospel through suffering, hardship, persecution, the gospel actually tends to advance much quicker and more rapidly because there's something that's emboldening and empowering when you see people that you love stand up for, the point, stand up for their faith in the point of death. It shows that they're real. They really believe what they proclaim. And the gospel advances. There's something I want to address, though, in American Christianity that we often think of suffering in the Christian life. We immediately go to the extreme case, like dying for your faith, or extreme forms of physical persecution, like being its own. And in one sense, I get this. You know, um, it's good and healthy for us to have a good a good dose of perspective of what's going on around the world. And yes, hear me on this: if a person goes on a mission trip to the Caribbean and they share the gospel on the beach and they come back with a bad sunburn, that's not suffering, right? That's someone who's not very smart and they needed to wear a hat and sunscreen. But hear me on this. When Paul is talking about suffering for the gospel, he's letting us know there will be difficulty. There will be hardship. There will be turmoil. This isn't just physical. This is emotional, mental, spiritual. We may not be physically harmed for the gospel, but how silly are we to think that the government regulations for religious freedom can keep us from, causing, from, keep us from suffering? Don't be naive. The United States government, the Constitution, religious freedom, and freedoms of speech do not protect us from suffering that happens through a spiritual war. Praise the Lord for religious freedoms in our country. But religious freedoms do not keep us from hardship and suffering. Hear me on this. If you have struggled with sadness, loneliness, anxiety, intensified financial stress, intensified financial family strife, you've been laughed at or made fun of for your faith, for what you believe, specifically of a life decision walked out where you walked out in faith, tried to share the gospel or guard the gospel, don't downplay this verse. You have suffered for the gospel. Listen, if an insurance company says we've experienced suffering for anxiety or grief or worry or lack of sleep, 
or for the simple reason that we've been inconvenienced, or we've lost enjoyment on life, and then we get paid for it, then I think it's okay to say we've experienced some sort of suffering when, we've, when we're working to advance the kingdom. And, when, and, and you know what Paul says to us that I don't want us to miss? He didn't just remind us to suffer for the gospel, but he said, share in suffering for the gospel. He's telling Timothy to join him in suffering, to suffer with him. He's saying, let's get in this fight together, right? It's a joint effort. Brothers and sisters, we should not go through suffering alone. God gave us the church. God gave us people around us to surround us, to, that we would bear one another's burdens, that we wouldn't be alone. If you see someone going through a hardship, a difficult time, what if God wants to use you to be a blessing in their life? Don't ignore that. Maybe it's as simple as a word of encouragement or spending time with them or providing a listening ear or a shoulder to cry on or maybe it's helping with a physical need. I don't know what it is, what it looks like, but God has called us to share in suffering. Let's be a church that when the outside looks in, they see people that suffer well together. Let's look at these last four verses again and and then we're going to get to our last point here. I think it's important for us to look at this entire thing, you know, these, these few verses together, but it's, I'm going to zero in on one verse out of these four. Follow along. It says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now he has manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So he continues to reiterate his first two points. You know, Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. He's going to suffer for the gospel. We also see a glimpse in verse 11 and 12 of what we're going to look at for next week. And we're going to see the concept of guarding the gospel, and I'm excited about it. This is going to be a lot of fun. We don't get to talk about guarding the gospel as one of the things that we need courage for. But, what the, but I want us to look at one verse, which will get us to our last point. Okay, Verse 9, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So we've already touched on this a little bit. You know, Paul says God saved us and called us. Why did, why did God save us? It's not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave in us, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God saved us. God called us because of his purpose and his grace. That's our last point. This is all because of grace. This is all because of, of grace. This is massively important. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. We should know that we will suffer for the gospel. We, he and call us to suffer for the gospel with power and love and self-control. And if you believe this, or if you have heard from me that this is up to you to do more, to try harder, to muster up more courage, we've completely missed it. Right? We've missed it. That's not the gospel. I'm going to say it again. It's not what we do. It's all about what Jesus has done. There's this beautiful tension in the Bible where we, we are held completely responsible for our lives. Yet, God is working on our behalf, where the power of God takes over. I think of a lot of it like, a, like wind in a sailboat, right? We work hard to set the sail. 
and the wind of God's grace must move the boat. Paul suffered well. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was courageous. But it's not because of what he did. It's not because of his works, because, but it's because of God's own purpose and grace. God saved us. God called us. Not because of our works, not because of what we've done, not because of our great courage, but because of God's great purpose and grace. It's all because of grace. How great is this? God wants to give you courage. God wants you to not be ashamed of the gospel. God wants you to suffer well for the gospel because it's for his purpose. It all comes by grace. This is the beauty of the gospel. We can be perfectly courageous all the time. We're human, right? It's in our sin nature to fall short. At some point, we will be fearful. At some point, we will lack courage. And at some point, we will fail. But God, in his kindness, he looks at us and he says, you're not a coward. You're not a failure. You are a child of the living God. You are a beloved daughter. You are a beloved son. And because of that, we can sit up again and continue to walk in great courage. Listen, courage for the sake of the gospel of, of the gospel advancement is an evidence of grace in our lives. Courage for the sake of gospel advancement is an evidence of grace in our lives. When you try to spark up a spiritual conversation with a new friend, that's an evidence of grace in your life. When you start, when you start to seek, start weaving the gospel into our everyday conversations, that's an evidence of grace in our life. When you find yourself spending time with pe people that you wouldn't typically want to spend time with, with the purpose of advancing the gospel, that's an evidence of grace in your life. When you're moving your schedule around, go out of your way to spend time with someone who needs Jesus to walk in boldness. That is an evidence of grace in your life. God wants to use you for his purposes, to advance the kingdom. This, should, this is not something that we deserve to be a part of. This is a great grace in our life. We are privileged with advancing, taking the, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are privileged with seeing people walk in faith. Listen, if you are a Christian here today, let's be courageous in setting the sails to advance the gospel. And then beg God to move in power. But if you're not a Christian here today, my first hope today is that you would trust in Jesus. I hope that you would say, that, I hope that you would see that this this, this gospel, this faith that we walk, it's not an easy walk of faith, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The gospel is worth it. You can trust in Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. You can trust Christ today. But if not, I hope that you would at least be intrigued by how much we truly value the gospel. I invite you to come back again. Let's keep exploring this together. Let, ask good questions. Ask questions about the gospel. We're not ashamed of it because the gospel changes everything. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we're not ashamed of the gospel. Father, we need the gospel every day. We need the gospel for our life. We need the gospel for salvation. We need the gospel for power. We need the gospel for you to change us, to make us whole. Father, we know that it comes... Uh, the believing in the gospel comes with a, great, um, with a great hardship, oftentimes, of suffering. Father, we pray that we would suffer well for the gospel. But, Father, we pray that we'd be reminded and remember that it's all because of grace. You are working in great power. You're working in and through us. Father, it's not about what we do. It's all about what Jesus has done. 
We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for Christ. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.